0: I came across an article out of the Boston Globe a number of years ago um, that talked about friendship. And the author of the article... The journalist, his name is Billy Baker, and he's actually gone on to follow up that article with a number of uh, pieces on friendship and loneliness, and actually recently published a a memoir about how uh, he has learned to make friends again as an adult. It's called We Need to Hang Out, a memoir of making friends, and it's it's a great book. And in the book, he talks about this article and how it came to be. So he was working at the Boston Globe, and his editors reached out to him and said, "Hey, can you come to the office? Uh, we've got the the perfect article. We want you to research. I, we think it's perfect for you." And so Billy says he got up and started walking to the office, and his mind was racing, like, "All right, what is what is it? You know, I love baseball. Maybe they want me to write about baseball." Uh, what is it that this person, this editor, thinks is the perfect article for me? And he sat down in the chair at the desk, and and they said, hey, Billy, we want you to write about how middle-aged men don't have any friends. And he thought, man, am I that big of a loser that they thought this is the perfect piece for me? I'm a middle-aged man, and I don't have any friends? Come on as he worked his way back to his desk, he was trying to run through, all right, that can't be true. I know I have friends. He thought about his friend Mark. He went to high school with Mark, and they were pretty good friends. But then he realized, you know, he and Mark maybe got together three or four times in the last year. And then he thought, well, okay, Mark's not that close, but what about Rory? I went to college with Rory. We were like best friends. We were inseparable. But then he realized like it had been maybe two years since he had gotten together with Rory. And then he thought, well, my brother, I mean, my my own kin, uh, we're close friends. But then he realized like, you know, after college, his brother moved out to California and they really only saw each other around the holidays. And he realized in that moment that all of these people that he thought were friends, uh, they were really only in his life to a limited degree. And so he began to think about this article and realized uh, that he was not unusual, uh, he was typical, that most middle-aged men like him didn't have a lot of friends. In fact, the article goes on to sort of back up that uh, notion with research that most adult men and increasingly adult women don't have lifelong, deep, committed friendships. And it is actually a, a sociological epidemic facing most adult men and many women. Today we're talking about friendship, and specifically Christian friendship. We're looking at the life of David and his relationship with Jonathan as this model of Christian friendship. And you'll see in the bulletin my three points that I'm going with, and so if you wanna follow and take notes, you can do so there. I wanna show you that Christian friendship is powerful, that Christian friendship is covenantal, and that Christian friendship is what Jesus offers us. And so would you follow along with me? We're gonna jump around a little bit because this actually takes place over three different chapters in 1 Samuel, so um, I think the, the words on the screen are right, but I might have to set some context as we go from one chapter to the next. Um, David has just defeated Goliath, and everyone is so happy, and uh, King Saul has welcomed David to come home to the palace. Let's look at first, uh, 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, Jonathan is King Saul's son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So they became friends. David was in the palace. Let us pick up um, in, verse, or in chapter 19. Um, David has grown in popularity, and King Saul is jealous and actually wants to kill him. So this is what chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 say. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. So David runs. Uh, He runs off to a far-off village to stay safe and This immediate threat is is done away with, and so David comes back to Jonathan in chapter 20. Read the first four verses uh, with me. Look, then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, My father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. Why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But then David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say... I will do for you. They set up this scheme where David is still fearful of King Saul, and he's not going to go to a feast, and he's fearful of his life. And he says to Jonathan, hey, if you find out if your father wants to kill me, give me a sign so I can run away again. And so they set up this sign where Jonathan is going to... cast an arrow out into the field, and that's going to be the sign for David. So let's pick up this story at the end of chapter 20, verse 35. King Saul wants to kill David again. and So in the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. He said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew this matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone, heaped and fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. They kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, "'Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, "'The Lord shall be between us, between you and me, and between my offspring and your offspring forever.'" And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. David and Jonathan would only have one other meeting before Jonathan died, and they were closest of friends. We're going to look at the power of Christian friendship. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the story of the life of King David. We thank you for his model of faithfulness and this morning his model of friendship with Jonathan. Lord, we pray through your word and in your spirit we would be convicted in our heart and drawn closer to you and to your grace through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. First, let's look at how Christian friendship is powerful. This friendship between David and Jonathan was powerful. It it helped David. Um, David had to rely on his friend, someone who would support him and and counsel him, tend to his needs, even challenge him and encourage him, speak the truth to him. This is the kind of friendship between David and Jonathan that we uh, desire, Uh, someone that we can look to in times of trouble. Um, From the beginning of this story, chapter 18, to the very end of this story in chapter 20, we see every interaction between David and Jonathan is characterized by friendship. I mean, as David is running for his life, as he is distressed, as he is on the run and depressed and fearful and anxious and worried, he has a friend to rely on. Um, You know, Proverbs 17 says that a friend loves at all times and and a brother is born for times of adversity. It reminds us that both our, our, our blood brothers as well as our closest of friends are gifts to us to lean on when life is challenging. This is what David had in Jonathan. No matter what he was facing, Jonathan was there for David. He was his friend. He saw him through the hardship. And this is what it means in verse 18 that we read that, uh, in chapter 18, that Jonathan knit his soul together with David, that they were enmeshed together. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. He understood that his own well being was wrapped up in the well being of his friend. Should his friend suffer, well, then he would suffer. But if his friend would flourish, he would flourish. So Jonathan took it upon himself to care for David so that he would thrive. He would advocate for him to his father. He would defend his honor when his life was threatened. He would protect David and send him out in peace to protect him. Did you see how in chapter 20, David's, or Jonathan's response to David was, David, you just tell me what you need me to do. I am here. I'll do it, whatever you ask of me. He was ready and willing to do whatever David needed. And at the end of the story, when the opposition reaches his climax, David has to flee, and they embrace one another. I mean, they're, they're weeping, they're affectionate towards one another because they know that their friendship is no more. And this is the last time they're going to see each other. They understand that this, what they had together was powerful, and so they're heartbroken. David and Jonathan were friends. They were the best of friends. They weren't besties. They didn't grab coffee together because that's what you do. No, these two were closer than blood They wrapped their lives around each other. They needed one another because they understood that this kind of friendship was powerful. This is the power of Christian fellowship. These kinds of friendships help one another in times of great need. You probably won't ever be on the run from a murderous king, but you will face challenges. You will face significant difficulties and distressful situations. You will face adversity. You might face a sudden job change or job loss. Who in your life do you have to turn to to help you walk through that emotional support that you need during that transition? You might face an urgent medical or health issue. Who do you have in your life that you can rely on to be there when you need help? help. You might face a quarter-life or midlife crisis, and you need someone to talk through what is going on in your life and in your heart. Do you have a safe person, someone who who will not judge you, who listens and offers advice, who actually offers to pray for you and does pray for you? Do you have that person? Who do you have in your life that you could share anything with, and you know that they're not going to think anything different of you? when you do because they love you because they know that you need them in their life who can you confess your sins to your addictions your deepest fears do you have a friend like that who is your spouse going to turn to when your marriage goes through a rocky time who do they have in their lives like, are they going to turn to their drinking buddies to rant? Are they going to confide in a coworker who just got divorced and is looking for a new shot at life? Are they going to turn inward and suppress those feelings until they're numb and see no resolution? Who do you want your spouse turning to? A friend. You want them to have a friend to reach out to that will talk to them, that will cry with them, who can share from their own experiences and wisdom, who can remind them of the truth, who can challenge them with words of convicting love, who can open up their home or their couch, who will come and pick them up, who will come and sit with them. You want them to turn to a friend. Why? Because Christian friendship is powerful, It can help you in your time of need. If they are so powerful, why don't we have them? Like why isn't this such a higher value in our lives? I I think immediately I, I know like we're busy, like all the time. We work and we work and we work. And on top of work, we have other hobbies and other passions, and on top of that, we have uh, spouses and children and, and more children. These things fill up our lives. These aren't bad things, but they cause us to be so busy that we don't have the capacity to invest the appropriate time and energy into these relationships. And all seems impossible on top of everything else we have in our lives to add to it a friendship like this. So we're busy. But I I think also we don't have these things because we're so transient as a people. Like we move a lot. Maybe every two, three, four years, we change jobs. We move cities. We make new colleagues and friends wherever we go. And then we pick up and move a couple years later. It makes it really hard to hold on to deep and lasting, long friendships. That people that actually know who you are, know who you have been, and know what the Lord is doing in your life changing you. We're transient. We're also, like, we're saturated with this concept of friendship. Like, we're, we're, we have so many friendships that are a mile wide and an inch deep. I I think social media has just perpetuated this. I have over 1,700 friends on Facebook, but I probably have four really close friends in my life. We are just saturated with these acquaintances and companions and coworkers that we think are our friends, but they're nothing like the kind of friendship between David and Jonathan. They're not powerful why don't we have them? If you don't have someone in your life like this, why not? What is it in your life that's preventing this? C.S. Lewis in his book about love, the four loves, he talks about this kind of love between David and Jonathan, this kind of friendship, and he says this, "The, the main reason why we don't value this kind of friendship is because very few of us have ever experienced it ourselves. Do you have a friend like this, a friend like Jonathan, who stuck with David through adversity, who embraced him and loved him and cared for him and supported him? A friendship like this is powerful. Who do you have in your life right now that maybe you want to have as this kind of friend? Who could you say, will you be my Jonathan? What is a step even this week that you could take towards them? Could you ask them to pray for you about something? Could you ask them to listen as you confess something to them that's bringing you guilt and shame? Do you have a friend who can help you get through times of adversity? Christian friendships are powerful. But Christian friendship is not just powerful, it's also covenantal. You see this at the very beginning and the end of this friendship. at Chapter 18, verse 3, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And then again in chapter 20, as they say goodbye to one another, Jonathan says, We have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you. Their friendship was covenantal. There were promises made to one another. They made vows to one another to be there for each other as long as they lived. This might seem strange to us, promises and vows being made to friends. We don't typically think of vows like that. Vows are made at, at wedding ceremonies or When we uh, welcome members to a church, both of those are covenantal. But here, David and Jonathan solidify their friendship with vows and a covenant. A promise that says, I am in this even when it gets tough for me. Even when it gets inconvenient for me. I am in this because I know that when we're both in this together, it's better for both of us. This is actually what we mean when, in a wedding vow, the bride and groom say to one another, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. They're saying, no matter the circumstances, I am committed to you. And Jonathan and David have that with one another. This is the beauty of a covenantal relationship, a, a covenant where you stick together And by sticking together, you both get through to the other side. Some friendships are like this, but most friendships operate on far lower standards than a covenant. You know, we enter into most friendships with this understanding that it's for a limited time, we might be friends for as long as uh, we work at the same place together. We might be friends as, as long as uh, you, know, you don't have any kids because then that's gonna take away your time from me. We might be friends until we lose that passion that we had together, then we're not. Uh, often we remain friends as long as I'm getting something out of it. But, but when uh, something changes and it begins to cost more for me to be friends, then we consider Uh, moving away. I I think all of us have experienced on one end or the other a relationship like this that has fizzled out. Those kinds of relationships aren't covenantal. They're actually in some ways transactional. Um, a, A transactional relationship is you stay in a relationship as only as long as it benefits you in a way that you're willing to pay for. Um, You know, the example that I use is, like, I love shopping at Heinen's, and it's got wonderful food there, a wonderful selection. Um, But if I learn that Aldi has, like, the same thing for far less, well, then my transactional relationship with Heinen's is going to end, and now I'm going to enter in a relationship with with Aldi. Uh, But we don't do this just with corporations. We do this with people. I mean, we can have a, a friendly conversation or relationship with someone that's transactional. Um, at, at seminary, I worked f- on the landscaping and facilities crew, and um, at, there was a significant time in which the seminary had contracted out uh, a cleaning service. Uh, ironically, it was called King's Cleaning, and they uh, so they would come in a couple times a week and work on different projects, and we contracted them. And in, in the, the guys that would come were nice and fun. You know, sometimes we'd eat together. We were friendly with one another. Uh, but then my boss, Tim, like, did the numbers and realized that like, if we just hire a part-time student to do these cleaning things and then buy the equipment ourselves, in the long run, we'll save money. And so we ended the contract with this company. So we were friendly with them, but at the end of the day, It was more cost-effective to just do it ourselves. That's a transactional relationship with people. But in a covenant, we say, I am in this even when it costs me. Because I love you. I'm choosing to be here with you. I mean, this is what Jonathan did. His own life was at stake when his own father wanted to kill his best friend. What did he say? It might get me killed, but I love my friend, and I'm going to protect him. When you're committed to someone in this way, it's beautiful. You help one another out. You actually are are in this position to speak truth to them, to challenge them, to bring them up, to build them up. Like iron sharpens iron a Christian friendship that is covenantal, they're committed to one another's growth and well-being, that you can actually speak challenging words together and build one another up. This is what Proverbs 21 says, that even the wounds of a friend are faithful. That means sometimes your Christian friend is going to speak a word that might hurt, but you know that they have your best interests at heart, and so you receive that wound from your faithful friend. Because they want to see you grow in character and grace. This kind of commitment, it's intentional, it's dedicated, it's attention, it's, it's energy towards one another. I have a, a group of pastor friends, there's four of us total. We became friends in seminary, and then since graduating, we meet up with one another annually. We actually have a quarterly Zoom call where we worship together and pray together and encourage one another and, and listen to one another. Uh, but we also like, have an ongoing text thread, and I can pick up my phone and call them, and I do call them weekly to see how is, how is your life going? How is your wife? How are your kids? Can I run something by you? Can I confess something to you? Will you pray for me? These are my friends. I would almost do anything for them. And so we go out of our way because we're committed to one another. But a covenant doesn't only mean commitment, it also means self-giving. You see this in the life of Jonathan. Right as they make this new friendship to one another, Jonathan strips his robes and gives them to David. In essence, he was saying, uh, David, I am the heir to the throne. I am the son of King Saul. But I know and I trust that you are the man for the job so I will give my royal robes to you. He's saying I must decrease in order for you to increase. I must step back in order for you to thrive. A deep covenantal Christian friendship says, above all, I want you to succeed. I want to celebrate you. I want to cheer you on. That might mean I don't get the spotlight, but if you do, then I'm better for it. This is the kind of Christian friendship that we want. Who are you committed to in in such a way that you give of yourself to them like that? Who do you give your time to, your talents to, your treasures to, so that they might increase? Who is in your life that you're committed to through thick and thin, through the good times and in the bad times? Who in your life could you say, no matter what, I have your back. I am in this for the long haul. Who could you say, I am committed to you like Jonathan was committed to David? Maybe there's someone in your life that you used to have that with. Maybe they live still close by. For some reason, something came between you and them. A strife in your relationship. Maybe you said something that offended them. Maybe they said something that hurt you. Maybe you moved to a different part of the city. Maybe you had kids, and then you had more kids and more. And so life, as you once knew it, is long gone. Is that someone that you could go to and say, Hey, I know I haven't always been there for you, but I now see the need for you in my life and me in your life? I wasn't 100% before, but I want to do that with you now. Who can you go to and say, I want to be Jonathan for you? What would it take for you this week to move toward someone like that? Christian friendship is powerful, and it is covenantal. But finally, It is what Jesus offers each one of us today. In John chapter 15, Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, pulls his disciples together and he says to them, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know his own master and what he's doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have now made known to you. Jesus is pulling his followers to him and says, you are not my servant, you're not my workers, you don't labor for me, you are my friend. I have told you about my father, I have told you about myself, I have revealed who I am, I have made myself known to you. You are my friend, you don't have to work for my love. You don't have to labor for my affection. I love you like I love myself. You are my friends. I will stick with you through the thick and the thin, through whatever circumstances you find yourself. I am your friend. This is Jesus' promise to his disciples. I will be your friend. You have a friend in me, someone who is there for you, someone who can help you. Proverbs 18, 24 says that many a man of many companions may come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother who is that friend his name is Jesus he is yours and he is closer to you than your own blood you can run to him and confess your sins to him he will not condemn you you can admit your addictions to him he won't reject you He won't raise an eyebrow at you. He will not recoil away from you. He will not turn from you. He will not withhold his love from you. He will hold you fast. He will speak words of assurance over you. You can go to him. He is your friend. You can confide in him with your fears. He will comfort you. He doesn't blow you off or laugh at you or discredit you. He doesn't gaslight you. He don't ridicule you. He will embrace you and weep with you. He will be your friend. You can bear your burdens to him and he will lift you up with his grace, speaking words of assurance and joy into your heart. He will intercede for you in prayer. He knows what you're going through. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows rejection. He knows loss. He will sit with you through all of this because he is your friend not going anywhere. Jesus is committed to you. Like Jonathan, Jesus is self-giving. He is committed to you and gives of himself to you. Remember, he came down from the throne in heaven to be with you, in a sense, giving up the throne for you. He took the form of a servant to serve you, to the point of death on the cross, bearing your sin, your shame, your guilt, your burden, so that in him you would have life. He took upon himself all of our sin and gave to us his robes of righteousness, welcoming us into his royal family. He is committed to you. He loves you. He has bound himself up with you. Like Jonathan knit his soul to David, Jesus has knit himself to you. He has wrapped himself up in you. In 2015, during a, uh, an air show in, uh, in England, there was this act, a parachute act, where two parachuters, Mike French and Wayne Shorthouse, we're going to perform a maneuver called a stack, where Mike was going to be on the bottom with his parachute open, and uh, and Wayne was going to come uh, and maneuver on top of the parachute so that the two would be in tandem together as they performed this. Well, as Mike got into position, Wayne was coming in, and uh, he got to where he was, but as soon as he got to the parachute, Mike's parachute collapsed in on itself. And, and, and so they, he started falling, and they were too close to the ground for him to release his chute, uh, didn't get his reserve chute, but he realized that he wasn't falling as fast as he thought he would, and he looked up, and, and Wayne, who had just gotten to the parachute as it collapsed, it had hooked onto his foot. And so Wayne began wrapping his friend's parachute around his own as they were plummeting to the earth. And they realized they were going in too fast. They weren't going to make it. And so Mike started telling Wayne where to control his parachute. They maneuvered out over to the lake. They were going fast. And, and, and Mike uh, knew his life was about to end uh, unless something miraculous happened. And, and, and Wayne knew my friend is about to die unless I do something about this. And so as he wrapped his arms or his legs around the chute, he was saying to himself, if my friend dies, I'm going to die with him. And, and if my friend lives, I will live with him. They bound himself to his friend. They maneuvered out over the water going 20, 25 miles per hour. They were going to hit hard. And they did, straight into the water. And the crowds rushed to the side of the shore wondering, did they survive? And there was silence. As they waited, and then out of the water came one head and another, and, and Mike and Wayne survived. They got pulled out of the waters, and they were okay. And, and afterward, Wayne said, this was my friend. This was my partner. If he was going down, I was going down with him, and so I did everything I could to save his life. He enmeshed his life in with his friends. Don't you see this is what Jesus has done for you? He has made you his friend. He's wrapped his life into yours. This is his love for you. Jesus says, greater love has none other than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus put his life on the line for you because you are his friend. William Tyndale put it this way. Christ is in you and you are in him, knit together inseparably. Neither can you be damned unless Christ be damned with you. And neither can Christ be saved except with you being saved with him. What a friend we have in Jesus. He has made us his own. Let's pray.